Let's bow for prayer. Father God, I thank you for this time that we could focus on your name, that we could be here gathered where your Holy Spirit is to learn about your will and to do that. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would be present here. Lord, I thank you for your word and I ask that you would help us to boldly proclaim it as we leave these doors. Lord, uh, guide us as we learn right now. In Jesus' name, amen. July 21st, 1861. The first significant battle of the Civil War. The federal troops had established a stronghold on on top of a hill that they called Henry Hill. They had their artillery stationed and they were using that artillery not just regular cannons, but only cannons that the northerners could afford. These were parrot rifles, firing projectiles that weighed 10 pounds apiece. Through a rifled barrel, the effective range was thousands of yards. They had these rifles lined up. And on the Confederate side, down below, the story was a little bit different. The Confederates, they were being fired upon, pounded, mercilessly fired on. They were losing their ranks. Some of the divisions, some of the companies had backed off to reassess the situation. But one division remained. A division commanded by General Thomas Jackson. He stayed right there like a stone wall. This is what gained him the name Stonewall Jackson. The Northerners pounded them with these artillery over and over. And what must it have been like to be on that line down below suffering so many casualties while your commander told you to stay and to continue fighting. And they did. And then Stonewall Jackson saw an opportunity. And he told his men to advance. And they went up that hill and in a moment's time took those artillery pieces. They took the chance and jumped on it. And there they were. If only a few minutes before they were praying that the the artillery would stop, that they would get a break. And now here they were. They had control of the artillery. These 10-pound parrot rifles. The only thing at that point that was left to do was to swing those rifles around. Aim them in the other direction and use them to win the battle. That battle that particular day was won by the Confederate Army. Now my focus today is not on the Civil War. 
it's not on the Union or the Confederacy, but it's on the weapon that was used to gain the advantage that day. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 through 4, says we are human, but we don't wage war as humans do. We use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning and to destroy false arguments. The NIV translation puts it another way. Both are very good. I want to read them both to you. It says, For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of this world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. My question is, what are these mighty weapons? The sixth chapter of Ephesians tells us to equip ourselves with things like truth, righteousness, peace, faith, salvation, the Word of God, and prayer. Now I want to exhort you to obtain these weapons and to learn how to use them. They're very good. But the weapons that will be the topic of today's message are the very thing that makes use of these tools mentioned in Ephesians. The tools of prayer, for example. The tools of God's Word. What makes use of these things? Now you've probably heard it said that pencils don't misspell words. Or that guns don't kill people. Just the same... Tools are useless unless there's someone to put them to use. Therefore, the mighty weapons that are not of this world, that have divine power to demolish strongholds, are the Christians themselves. Jesus tells His disciples in John chapter 15, verses 19, that they are not of this world. He tells the disciples, you're not of this world. And the Lord told Jeremiah, in the book of Jeremiah, chapter 1, verse 10, He says, Today I appoint you, Jeremiah, to stand up against the nations and the kingdoms. Some you must uproot and overthrow. Others you must build up and plant. I love those two words build up and plant. We are in a season of building and planting here in Colony. Jeremiah chapter 51 verse 20, again, it says, You are my battle axe and sword, says the Lord. Psalms chapter 127 verse 4, you guys know this scripture, it talks of children being arrows in the quiver of a warrior. Our children being arrows. Folks, 
you and I are mighty weapons to be used in a battle for gaining kingdom ground against evil. Now the difference between the story about the civil war that I told at first, the difference between the weapons there and and what we are to be as Christians are number one, we were not meant to destroy. John chapter 10, verse 10, says the thief's purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy. My purpose, Jesus says, is to give them a rich and satisfying life. We were not meant to destroy. We were meant to build and to plant. Not weapons of destruction that destroys everything in our path. Now, evil, on the other hand, is what we use or we use our weapons and we destroy evil but we know that the enemy isn't people themselves number two the differences between the civil war illustration and the weapons that we are is that there are sides there are always sides in the situation of war one side against the other. Who can tell exactly which side is good, which side is right? And each person on the other side thinks that their side is right. And and sometimes it can be kind of confusing who is the right side. But in this spiritual battle that we're in for gaining kingdom ground for God, there is absolutely a perfect and right side and there is a wrong side and the commander of that wrong side is Satan himself our commander Jesus Christ leads a perfectly right side and number three we as God's weapons as God's mighty weapons are living we're not objects like a howitzer cannon that can be used either way. You see, we have compassion. We care. We have new life. You see, Jesus gives us this new life. God provides us with life when He breathed it into us and we are made in His image. Have you ever thought about that? What is it like to be made in the image of God. I've thought about that a thousand times and still can't quite grasp what that means or what that is like. But I know it's true. Scripture says that it is made in the image of God. You know, you might say that uh, your children uh, are kind of in your image. If you were to show up at my place eight or ten years ago. You'd find a boy in the front yard with worn jeans and rubber boots and no shirt on. He'd have a BB gun in one hand and a, and a live snake that he'd caught for a pet in the other. You would say, that's the image of his dad. And I would say that, uh, that Jake would probably uh, 
not agree with that now. I'm not too much like you, Dad, but in the image of me. But that's the way we look. You know, I think being made in the image of God is more than just how we look. It's how we act as well. Both put together. So as my son Jake grows, he begins to not only look more like me by growing long hair, it's a different color and he has more of it, but he begins to maybe act a little bit like me in some things. Uh, like He buys $200 cars that don't run and fixes them and drives them around uh, looking like they don't run, but they, they do. And I think that, that's, uh, that's the image part of how we are made in God. Now, what does it mean to be a spitting image? Have you ever heard that? spitting image. And I don't know if Jake's a spitting image of me. Um, maybe sometimes how he acts when he's extra passionate, you know, and, or, or maybe he gets, uh, does something that his mom is like, oh, you're a spitting image of your father. Uh, the passion. And I, I feel like, you know, when God created, created the world, he created the oceans, he created the animals, you know, he spoke them into existence. He just spoke and there created lots of things. And I imagine what kind of passion the, it would take to make those things would be extreme. I don't know. I wasn't there when God created all that with just by speaking. But I just imagine that speaking enough to make those things, there would be some spit that would fly out of God's mouth and a spitting, spitting image. And then when he created man, it says he spoke to the others about what he was going to do. Genesis chapter 1, verses 24, verses 26, he said, Let us make human beings in our image to be like us. So God created human beings in his own image. Verse 27. Boy, I think that there must have been a lot of passion in God when he created all these cool things on this world that we get to live among. And then an extra, extra bunch of passion when he created something in his image. Spitting image. You know, I think this is also the passion that he had for a man named Saul. We know him as the Apostle Paul. His name changed uh, when he was in a duel with a man and he was casting out an evil spirit. He looked him eye to eye and, and we see that in Scripture as the time where uh, he was referred to then as Paul instead of Saul. This man, whatever we call him, Saul or Paul, had such passion, such misdirected passion at first that he's an excellent example for us to uh, to learn about to put into play in our lives. Listen, Paul, he, he thought he was serving God. Uh, this was before his conversion. He thought he was uh, serving God by persecuting Christians. But he was 
attacking the people who loved Jesus. Our text today is from Acts chapter 9. Verses 1 and 2. Meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with every breath and was eager to kill the Lord's followers. So he went to the high priest. He requested letters addressed to the synagogues in Damascus asking for their cooperation in the arrest of any followers of the way he found there. He wanted to bring them, both men and women, back to Jerusalem in chains. You see, Paul, at this point, is just pounding away at Jesus' followers. Relentlessly pounding away, attacking the followers of Jesus over and over and over. The first martyr, Stephen, the follower of Jesus, was killed by the hands or at the approval of Saul. <clears throat> At this point in time, I wonder wonder if any of the Christians thought, boy, if we could only get a hold of Saul. Right? And I bet they did. I bet, I bet they thought, boy, if we could just get our hands on Saul, the Christians thought. But you know, the Christians knew what Jesus was all about. They'd been taught by Jesus. And so I bet it was more like, instead of, boy, if we could get a hold of Saul and wring his neck and have any more problems, I bet it was more like, boy, if we could just get a hold of Saul. If we could turn him. And if we could get him on board with preaching the gospel, preaching the good news, boy, there wouldn't be anybody that would stand in our way. The word of God would spread. And I don't know if they thought that. The disciples, that is. I don't know if the Christians thought that. But someone was. Someone was. You see, verse 3, as he was approaching, as Paul was approaching Damascus on the mission, a light from heaven suddenly shone down around him. He fell to the ground, and he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. And the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one whom you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. Just like that. Jesus had Saul's attention. It wasn't but maybe a day or two ago that uh, Stephen was on the ground at Saul's feet and now Saul is the one in the dirt, helpless. The deadly weapon has been captured. The only thing left to do is to swivel him around and aim him at the enemy, turn him loose. Now, in the days of Napoleonic warfare, uh, when they would all line up together and, uh, and load their rifles together and aim together, when they would wage war like that, they had artillery. And the artillery men, which would be the men who would man the cannons, the big guns, 
they would issue them a metal spike, a small metal spike. Now every cannon, the old style cannons, have a vent hole in back, a touch hole. And this was for you to put your fuse or your punk or, or fill it up with powder and light it to fire the cannon. And this spike that they were issued is, was just in case the enemy came too close and they were in danger and they had to retreat, had to run, and had to leave their cannons. They didn't have time to take their, their cannons. They could take that steel spike and they could put it in the vent hole and drive that dude down in there rendering the cannon useless. It's no good for the other side to use against them. Now, there is no such spike in kingdom warfare. No matter how useless a person of a person you might think you are or that another person might seem, no matter how bad you think you are, There's nothing that can't be forgiven by Jesus when you humbly call on His name. Acts chapter 9, verse 7 through 19. The men with Saul stood speechless, for they heard the sound of someone's voice, but they saw no one. Saul picked himself up off the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he was blind. So his companions led him by the hand to Damascus. He remained there blind for three days and did not eat or drink. Now there was a believer in Damascus named Ananias. The Lord spoke to him in a vision calling Ananias. Yes, Lord, he replied. The Lord said, go over to Straight Street. I love the way God puts together his stories here. I mean, I don't know where Straight Street was. I didn't see that when I was in in Israel. But uh, it's, there's so much. Even God was thinking when he named that street or when he had the, the people name that street. You know, someday I'm going to have Ananias go over to this street, the Straight Street where uh, Ananias is going to find Paul. And we're going to take Paul who's living a crooked life and we're going to make it straight. He says, go over to Straight Street. That's just uh, an idea that I thought in my mind. Nothing to it really. But some reason it was called Straight Street. He says, go over to Straight Street to the house of Judas. When you get there, ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. He's praying to me right now. I've shown him a vision of a man named Ananias coming in and laying hands on him so that he can see again. But Lord, exclaimed Ananias, I've heard many people talk about this terrible, the terrible things this man has done to the believers in Jerusalem. And he's authorized by the leading priest to arrest everyone who calls on your name. But the Lord said, Go, for Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to the kings as well as to the people of Israel. And I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. So Ananias went and found Saul. He laid his hands on him and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road has sent me so that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Instantly, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he regained his sight Then he got up and was baptized. Afterward, he ate some food 
and regained his strength. Notice that Paul got up and went to Damascus. Uh, He got up and went where the voice of Jesus was telling him to do. And then when Jesus was talking to Ananias, he says, there's a fellow praying right now to me. Saul's heart is already being softened. It's already being readied for the changing of sides. Have you ever felt like you were Paul? Like, I mean, you were hard and fast in the wrong direction. Doing all the wrong things and persecuting the wrong people. And all of a sudden, something happened in your life and Jesus happened in your life and you changed directions. You were aimed at the enemy. And that's, that's an amazing story. Maybe not all of us have felt like Paul, though. Maybe some of us uh, feel a little bit more like Ananias. God told Ananias, when he called him, God says, hey, Ananias. Ananias says, yes, sir. He didn't say anything uh, other than, hey, Ananias. And, and he says, yes, sir. <laughs> God says, you know what name, a man by the name of Saul from Tarsus? And I was like, uh, yes, sir, but, but, but that man, he's, he's a bad man. He's, uh, he's doing a lot of bad things to us Christians. God says, go, for Saul is my chosen instrument. Now you see Ananias. God would have to say to him what we're going to do is we're going to get a hold of Saul and we're going to swing him around and Ananias goes then he goes to Saul just like God had said and he seems to be on the same page as God because he says brother Saul brother Saul because he Ananias is in tune with what God is saying he knows that when God says he's going to do something that it's going to happen he says brother Saul you know that fella that uh, knocked you in the dirt and made you blind you know Jesus so I'm going to I'm going to put your my hands on you and 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 the scripture says that uh, right then basically this is where the magic happens Except we don't believe in magic, right? We believe in Jesus. And Jesus does miracles. Just like that. Ananias did what God told him. And Saul could see again and received the Holy Spirit. When Paul recounted his conversation story, his conversion story, to the Gentiles in Acts chapter 22... This is what Ananias told him. Acts chapter 22, verse 16. What are you waiting for? Get up and be baptized. Have your sins washed away by calling on the name of the Lord. Ananias did what God told him to do. He obeyed, simply obeyed. Because he obeyed, 
the Apostle Paul was turned and began to do battle for the Lord instead of against him. Are you called to be like Ananias? Are you called to obey a simple command to transform lives just by being faithful to what God is asking you to do? So now, now Saul can see. He has the Holy Spirit, and this is all that he needed. He got up and he was baptized, and immediately the next verses in chapter 9 say that he began to preach about Jesus. We've been talking about the Great Commission um, that Jesus gives us in Matthew chapter 28, the last couple of, uh, of Sundays. He tells us to make disciples, to baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and then to teach them to obey. We've seen how Jesus took over an antagonistic Saul and turned him <clears throat> into one of the greatest assets for the kingdom of God. This year our theme here at Colony Christian Church is building. We're working on building leaders, on building better marriages, on building community connections, and building new facilities to accommodate disciple training. Folks, you have a place in God's kingdom. God has made you in His image so that you can do His work and because He loves you. He wants you on His side. Have you accepted Him yet? If not, what will it take to turn you around? Blindness? The voice of God? Don't wait until it's too late. I mean, maybe you think that uh, you're just not quite ready to give your life to Jesus. Or, or maybe the timing is just not feeling right. But I'm reminded, uh, we have a brother that watches us online each week. He lives in Texas. He contacted me uh, this past week and Said he said he appreciated our service and that when he was in Iraq in the military ten or so years ago uh, and in the middle of a conflict there he decided to give his life to Jesus and he was baptized uh, in immersed into the faith of Jesus Christ right there in the desert of Iraq. Now, when you are in that kind of a situation of battle, when you're in a, a position to where your life could be taken from you at any minute, your mind starts to work differently, right? Different things all of a sudden become important and you make decisions uh, about things that you normally would put off until later. This is important for us to make this decision 
when God's putting it on our hearts and not to wait, not to put it off. Do you believe in Jesus, that He is the Messiah, the Son of the living God? Do you believe that Jesus came to earth and lived a perfect, sinless life, died on the cross and was raised again to save you from your sin? In the words of Ananias, what are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized, have your sins washed away by calling on the name of the Lord. In Acts chapter 8, Philip told the good news to a fellow from Ethiopia. That fellow believed and said, "Uh, Look, why can't I be baptized? They pulled the cart over and they went down to the water and Philip baptized him. And then the Ethiopian fellow went on his way rejoicing. Right after the service today, we're headed to Cedar Valley Reservoir near Garnett to do just that. God wants all of us. And there have been some folks, oh, about, about eight that have chosen to take this step of obedience to commit their lives to Jesus. And they want to publicly do that through baptism. They have chosen to follow Jesus and take this next step today. So, so great to see God get a hold of a person and swing them around as a mighty weapon and use them against evil. How grateful can we be for a group of folks to inspire others to meet in the name of Jesus? I love it. I look out among you guys and I see, I see specifically made mighty weapons with rifled barrels and strategically uh, aimed at a certain point of the enemy's stronghold. And I know and I pray that if we all work together, that kingdom ground will be gained here in Colony. Psalms chapter 56, I want to conclude with this. O God, have mercy on me, for people are hounding me. My foes attack me all day long. I am constantly hounded by those who slander me and many are boldly attacking me. But when I am afraid, I will put my trust in you, God. I praise God for what He has promised. I trust in God, so why should I be afraid? What can mere mortals do to me? They're always twisting. They're always twisting what I say. They spend their days plotting to harm me. They come together to spy on me, watching my every step eager to kill me. Don't let them get away with their wickedness. In your anger, O God, bring them down. You keep track of all my sorrows. You have collected all my fears in your bo- all my tears in your bottle. You have re- recorded each one in your book. My enemies will retreat. When I call for you, this I know. God is on my side. I praise God for what He has promised. Yes, I praise the Lord for what He has promised. 
I trust in God, so why should I be afraid? What can mere mortals do to me? I will fulfill my vows to you, O God. I will offer sacrifice of thanks for your help. For you have rescued me from death. You have kept my feet from slipping. So now I can walk in your presence, O God, in your life-giving light. The life-giving light, folks, is, is right here with us. The body of Christ, the Holy Spirit, works among us, and it is there if we just ask and repent. God is for us. Let's pray. Dear God, I thank you for what you do in and among us. Lord, I, I, I pray for these, for these folks that are making the decision to be baptized in your name today, God. I pray that they will begin a lifelong process of, of gaining kingdom ground, of, of continually accepting your love and forgiveness. I pray that they will be bold and strong, Lord Jesus. I thank you for your grace and mercy.